thing is uh, so simple. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Uh, what other grace do we need to come near to God himself but belief and repentance? True belief and true repentance bring us near to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to look at uh, James chapter 1. If you're going to turn there with me. And we're still talking about hermeneutics. And tonight, if this were a, well, it is a sermon of sorts. But if I were to give it a title, I would call it Pastoral Hermeneutics. My longer title would be Why We Must Be Careful Not to Have Worthless Religion. Why we must be careful not to have worthless religion. That's something to think about, isn't it? James chapter 1, let's look at verse 19. All right, it says... Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let's stop right there. We're going to go all the way through verse 27 tonight, but I want to stop right there. We're going to take it a little bit at a time. Okay, so James, if, if it's been a little bit since you've been in the book of James uh, or have studied it, remember that James is, is uh, uh, one of our uh, kind of circular letters that's meant to go to a lot of different churches in a lot of different places and be circulated. Um, but James is writing from a perspective of, it's, it's kind of been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so in it, there's going to be lots of wisdom and uh, I want to draw out some of that wisdom for us tonight. But you can already hear it here in these couple of verses. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You can hear the proverb type language there. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What, what might that mean? So he's saying, look at verse 18 quickly. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Who might that be referencing? That would be referencing anyone who has been brought forth by the word of truth, people we would know as believers, true believers, who are a kind of first fruits of his creation, of his creatures, right? So we know that James already is addressing those who are true believers. And of those true believers, he calls them beloved brothers. And he says, let every person, let every one of us, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28, listen to what it says. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Tell me, have you not witnessed that to be true in life? Someone who keeps silent, you consider them to have a little bit of wisdom going on there. Oh, you haven't said anything. 
What words do you have for us? Or you look at someone and other people are maybe arguing about a particular thing and you see another person sitting back, calm and collected. Now, does it necessarily mean that that person is wise? No. Because sometimes you say, well, what do you think about it? And they say, oh, what? I wasn't listening. (laughs) It's not that they're choosing to be calm and collected in their heart or in their mouth. They're just not even paying attention. But someone who is truly, genuinely engaged, and yet they keep a calm spirit about them, they keep their mouth closed, they let their words be very few, there is wisdom in that. And even to the extent that the world can see it, they notice it, because even when someone who is a fool keeps quiet, you think there might be wisdom in them. So what is it about being slow to speak? Well, there is wisdom in that. That's why it appears that way. There is wisdom in being slow to speak, and this is what James is telling us. You also, believers, you should learn this. Be slow to speak. So there's a connection between controlling your tongue and actually being slow to anger. Have you ever noticed that to be true in your life? Remember, when you're thinking in the world of Proverbs, we're thinking practically here. Has this been true in our lives? That when I find myself restraining my tongue, it actually helps me to restrain my spirit as well. Have you noticed that when you don't restrain your tongue, it actually leads you on a path, it actually sets you on a particular trajectory toward where you don't want to go and your, your, your spirit does not remain calm. You actually get yourself riled up, right? That's what I say. I mean, you're getting all riled up. I mean, I, my dogs get all riled up, you know? The, the more they just... Uh, one of our dogs got a new uh, uh, food bowl today, okay? It's, a, it's one of those slow feed is for the two-year-old dog, okay? He, he swallows his, all, all his food in one gulp, and so he needs to slow down. But he saw the bowl and got real excited, and he started jumping around. You know, like I call it, you know, the, the calf jump. You know, like a calf, you know, jumps. I never knew that until I lived right next to a cow field, and I actually saw him do it. But that's exactly what they do. I mean, he's just jumping around in the house. He's getting himself all worked up. But for us, do you know it can be a very similar thing that actually when we restrain our tongue, we can actually remain more collected and calm. That's true. That's actually biblical wisdom. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Many times when we don't restrain our tongue, are we quick to speak so that we might express our own opinion? Yes, generally, we like to make our opinion known, right? Uh, We like to make our opinion known. We want to say, well, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. Uh, I'm going to speak my words. I'm going to give you my opinion of the matter. And actually, when you're speaking, I can't wait until you're done so that I can tell you my opinion already. Because what you have to say has no bearing on my opinion. I'm just ready to tell you my opinion. This is all leading somewhere regarding hermeneutics. Are you ready for it? We have to work up to it. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Well, James says, for, because, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What is this? 
The righteousness of God, in other words, what God calls righteousness, that is the proper behavior for believers. The proper behavior for believers. In other words, I think of it this way, those who have a righteous standing before God should themselves reflect their righteous standing in their behavior. If you have a righteous standing before God as your position, right, that I have a righteous standing before God. Everyone who is a believer has a righteous standing before God, but doesn't necessarily mean that all your behavior is righteous. No, so my position before God is not based actually on my behavior. Is it my behavior that brings me near to God? What did I say about that song right before we started? All my behavior leads me to God, and so I just... I, you know, that, why do we not sing it like that? Because it's absolutely untrue, but do sometimes we believe that is true? It is my behavior that brings me nearer to God, right? But is that true? No. But it, do we, by means of our position that we've already established by faith in Christ and his imputed righteousness to us, see, so we have a righteous standing before God. Now, your behavior ought to reflect that righteous standing by means of righteous behavior. Part of that righteous behavior is by not, what did he say just beforehand? Let me read one of his words. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and you should be producing that which God calls righteous. And when you're quick to anger and you're quick to speak, that should not be how you behave. Should not be how we behave. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Do you notice the connection between one who is angry and one who has wisdom? It's as if the person who is wise lets anger pass him by. Now, of course, we know that there is a righteous form of anger because maybe you're already thinking that way. You never get angry. Well, in your anger, do not sin, right? Yes, we understand that. We're taking that as a given. But we're talking about the unrighteous form of anger, which generally comes in getting riled up and expressing our opinion and not staying quiet when we should. This is exactly what James is saying. It's, it's very practical. We could probably stop right there. We have enough to go home with already, right? I mean, I, I'm already full of application from that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's just look where he's headed here. So, so he's about to say a therefore. So look at verse 21. Okay, so the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, all filthiness, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay, so who is he already talking to? Those whose souls are already saved. So is he saying, receive with meekness the word which can save you because you need to be saved? That doesn't seem right, does it? Because the ones he's addressing are already saved. So what does this mean? Therefore, put away all filthiness. Filthiness. The word means something that is filthy, soiled, dirty, 
unclean, but it's speaking morally. Put away all that is in you that is morally filthy. Tell me, if you had a filthy face, right? It was just dirty. And you looked in a mirror and you saw how filthy it was. Would you be able to clean it off? Yeah, sure. You can do that. If you could see, peer into your soul and recognize that there are dirty spots, would you then work on getting rid of those dirty spots? Now, when I say that also as a given, even though we have effort in this, is it by means of our power that we are able to purify ourselves? No, it's by the power of God, right? Sanctification of the Spirit. That's a given. We all understand that. But yet we are called to action, yes? We are called to action. We are called to moral purity. We are called to take what is filthy in us and purify it, to clean it. So, has the Word of God ever shown you a part of you that's dirty? And yet, you have not cleaned it? He's saying to them, we were brought forth by the word of truth. That's what he said in verse 18. So now we must receive that word. The very word that brought us forth, we must now receive. You have received it unto salvation, but now you must receive it still. You have received it and now you are justified. But now you must continue to receive the word. Yes, that word that saves your soul, that one, continue to receive it. And receive it with meekness. That means with humility. You ever read the word of God and because you did not have humility in your heart, you overlooked something that it was drawing your attention to. Because I was proud about myself. The word of God said, that's dirty in you. And I said, no, it's not. That's clean. That's how I want it to be. You know, it's like having holes in my jeans. It's, I bought them like that. That's how they're supposed to be. And someone else says, but you need to sew that up. God is looking at us and saying, that is dirty and it's not intended to be that way. But me and my pride, I say, no, it's not. That's how it's supposed to be. I embrace it. I do that in my pride. But we are to, with meekness, with humility, receive the implanted word. You see, it's already there. It's already implanted within us. The word that gave us life, that saved our soul, is implanted within us. And now we are to take the word and receive it still. Receive it continually. Receive it and let it change us. Receive it and let it show us where we are dirty and so that we can be clean. Now we are clean before God. We have to wrap our minds around that, right? We already are clean before God, but yet he calls us to be clean. We already are righteous before God and yet he calls us to be righteous, right? So the very message that you have believed on for salvation calls you to righteous behavior. I like the salvation part, but I don't like the calling me to righteous behavior part. You know, we look around the Christian world that we live in and we can easily identify in other churches where their gospel is so watered down. And this is a way that we could identify that, isn't it? Is that we love the gospel that saves us, but not the gospel that calls us to purity. Right? Do you see it? Do you hear it in all the Christian songs that are very popular? Because the themes that resonate over and over and over and over and over and over again are those that just simply celebrate being saved. 
celebrate salvation, celebrate being a conqueror, an overcomer. It's just constantly celebrating the same concept, same concept, same concept, on repeat, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But where is the call to moral purity? Where is the call to conform your life to Christ? Truly. Where is the call that when the scriptures point out to us where our behavior is not lining up with the word that we simply look at it and we dismiss it? We have to with humility receive the implanted word continually. There's a call to us right now in this moment that when we're hearing this word right now out of James, which is the word of God, that we ought to have humble hearts before the word of God and receive it with meekness. We're practicing this right now in this moment. And so if you have a moment of being uncomfortable about something that's being said here because I've already felt uncomfortable because I like to express my opinion and I realize I need to hold my tongue because that's not right and it's producing anger within me. I get that. Is it showing me where my soul is dirty? My behavior is not lining up with the word of God? Yes, so purify yourself. Stop doing that. It's odd to say that, isn't it? Stop doing that. Ever said that to yourself? Stop doing that. I do that and I recognize it. Now I need to stop. Sometimes it actually helps. We have to recognize where we are in the wrong that we might be made in the right. Not to gain a righteous standing before God, but because you already have it. That's our call. We're not earning salvation. We are living in salvation. The gospel that saves us calls us to purity. So, therefore, Put away all this filthiness and rampant wickedness. That word rampant, it just means excessive. All the excessive evil in your life, which he's calling. Remember I told you the nature of James' letter here. This is going to all the Christians in the whole region there, everybody who can get their hands on it. He's saying, you believers, you who were saved by the word, put away all the excessive moral evil in your lives, which I know is there. If we were to consider that all of our behavior, our character, our soul were put on display in the clothes that we're wearing, how would you be dressed so that everyone might see it? What is your condition morally, spiritually? What is your condition? And people could see it. If only we could see it. If only it was put on display before people. How would we look? Because this is the exact imagery that James is leading us to. He wants us to recognize this fact that the word of God shows us where we're dirty, but we don't care. We neglect it. Okay, so look at verse 22. 
So, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so obviously verse 22 is kind of uh, where things change a bit. He's, he's hit us with some pretty heavy force here with these words. It's straight to the point. So then, here's what you need to do about this. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. If you're a hearer only, you're deceiving yourself. Actually, I think a better translation is deluding yourself. You're deluding yourself. You're, you're telling yourself that something is true and you're actually, tell, you're actually believing your own lie. Have you ever believed your own lie? I'm convinced sometimes that my kids believe their own lies. They actually believe that to be true. But I think we, I think we can do that. I think we can tell ourselves a lie so many times that we start to believe it. I'm not an angry person. Then you show yourself to be angry, but you say, but I'm not an angry person. But then you continue to be, but I'm not an angry person. And you say it so much that no matter what you do, you've believed the lie that you're not an angry person when you're angry every day. Do you see how it works? We delude ourselves. We deceive ourselves. So I, I, I want to draw a connection here to hermeneutics. So using proper hermeneutics can lead us into proper hearing. Okay? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So there's a hearing of the word taking place. We're all hearing the word tonight. Don't be a hearer only. Be a doer of the word. Now, proper hermeneutics leads us into a proper hearing of the word. Bad hermeneutics or improper hermeneutics leads us to improper hearing of the word. That only makes sense, doesn't it? Those two logically follow one another. So the point is not to have knowledge. The point is to have knowledge that is appropriated. The point is not to have knowledge. The point is to have knowledge that is appropriated. Appropriated is the best word I can use here. It means to make your own. To appropriate something is to take it and make it my own. So you can have something, but never appropriate it into your life. Okay, let's take something as simple as telling lies. If, if I, if I uh, asked every one of you in this room, is, is telling a lie sinful in the eyes of God? You would answer, yes, it is. So you have it. And then I ask you, have you told a lie recently? Even the smallest one? Have you ever told a lie when you believed that thing to be true? When you knew that God saw lying as sinful, did you sin? Did you do tell lies during that time? So it's having the knowledge, but not appropriating it to your life. Now, I have the knowledge and I say, lying is sinful, and so therefore, I'm not going to lie. That's appropriating the knowledge, right? So, the call here in James, uh, in James' words are to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Now, it doesn't say, don't be hearers. We must be hearers of the word, right? We must be hearers of the word, but we can't be hearers only of the word. We have to be doers of what we have heard. I, I thought this as I was preparing, and I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I'm going to say it. You can know what you don't appropriate, but you cannot appropriate what you don't know. Say it again. You can know what you don't appropriate, but you cannot appropriate what you don't know. Right? So therefore, I must know, but I can't stop at the knowing. 
I have to appropriate what I have learned. I have to make it my own. I have to live it. If I never appropriate what I have known, this is not what God calls you to. This is not obedience to the word. This is knowledge, and knowledge left to itself puffs up. It makes you proud, which is sin against God. I believe many times Christians, in certain circles, I believe our church is part of that circle, tends to emphasize knowledge and the warning there is that we cannot let knowledge be the end-all, be-all of Christianity. You see, we understand the importance of knowledge. We understand the importance of biblical truth. We understand that we must know. We must know what the Word of God has said accurately, right? Good. And sometimes we fool ourselves into believing that if we simply know that is the work that God has required of me. I'm ready. Let's do Bible trivia. You know, give me a theology exam. I want to show what I know. I want to enter in to a theological debate with someone now. I'm ready. You know, I want to read a book and then I want to tell you how bad it is theologically. And in doing so, I fool myself into believing that I have done what God has called me to do because we believe that the end is knowledge in itself. Has God called you to knowledge, to a renewed mind, to knowing? He has called us to that, but has he said, stop at that. That's it. That's, that's, that's where I want you to land. Just have the knowledge. That's it. That's all I call you to. No, we have knowledge that is appropriated into our lives, knowledge that is lived. Not a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. When we listen, we defraud ourselves. We delude ourselves. We think we have done it. We think that we have done what the word of God said. Yes, we must have accurate knowledge, but then we must appropriate the knowledge, right? If I could say it in its simplest terms, I would say, get biblical knowledge and then apply it to your life. And you would say, Well, great. I learned that a long time ago. Good. You had the knowledge. But did you appropriate that knowledge? I know that you know. I know that you know. But do you know that many truths that you know, you have not appropriated to your life? Do you know how deep that well is? Really, have you considered all the knowledge that you have about the word of God and everything you know, all that God calls us to, are you living in obedience to it or do you simply know about it? There are two things that could happen here. We could get unbiblical knowledge and apply that to our lives. That seems to work for some people, right? That's easier. Just get unbiblical knowledge, call it biblical knowledge, and apply that to your life. See, I'm doing it. I'm not a hearer of the word only, I'm a doer. I'm just doing it wrong. But they don't know that, right? Or sometimes they do, because they're deluding themselves, right? That again, they're just deluding themselves. Change what the word of God actually is saying and do that. That is why I've told you that if you want a theological answer, just come up with the one you like in your mind, Come up with the answer you like 
to whatever question it is and Google search your answer. And you're going to find someone who agrees with you. And you're going to find someone who argues it from the Bible. So anything you want to believe, you can find someone on Google who's going to agree with you and they're going to give you some kind of Bible passage somehow that's going to help you to say, see, it's biblical. Right? It's biblical. But it's deceptive because it's a way to get out of the uncomfortableness of the word of God showing you where the darkness is still residing in your life. Who likes the light? Well, the unbelieving world who is full of darkness hates the light. They do not come to the light. Why? Because their deeds will be exposed. Now, have you so far come into your salvation, into your sanctification, that you have now fully embraced the light shining into your dark soul? See, I like it now. I used to not like it, but now I like it. No, we, we, who likes being pointed at and saying you did this which was sinful and then the spirit of God convicts your heart that you did something that was sinful? Who says, yes, I love it. I love it. No, you say, That's, that was very uncomfortable for me. In hindsight, yes, of course I want that. This, the conviction of the, of the spirit of God in our lives is the grace of God and it is sweet to us, but it is bittersweet, right? Okay, so like I said, there's two, two different ways we could go about this. We could get unbiblical knowledge and apply it to our lives. That works, that's a way around it. The other way around it is to get biblical knowledge and never apply it to your life, but only talk about it as if you have. See, because if you can tell other people that you have knowledge, what are they gonna believe necessarily? that you do all the things you know. You see, and this is where I get into trouble. Because when I tell someone something I struggle with in my life, they say, what? What? You? I've, I've had people in that tone say that to me. You? As if I am, you know, uh, you even? Uh, just, but, uh, and I think it's because I, I preach sermons and I preach them with conviction. And I tell you, the only reason I can preach with conviction is because I have been convicted of sin in my life. I have sin in my life, and so do you. And it's uncomfortable when the sin is pointed out to us, right? And so, what I'm saying is, the way we can maybe get around this is to pretend by means of elevating ourselves with knowledge because I can't elevate myself in my character. I don't want to. I don't want to show people these truths. No, I want to talk about these truths so that they never can even question me about whether I'm being godly or not. So you build a wall of defense of knowledge rather than of character. All right, look at verse 24. For, if anyone, for is, so explanatory, right? So he's explaining. For, if, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, here's what he is like. He is like one who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he at once forgets what he was like. All right, stop right there. See, I told you this was where the imagery was going. It's as if the word of God is like a mirror reflecting back to us our true condition, our natural condition 
condition. And so I, I, I thought about getting a mirror, and I just didn't. And then I thought about different ways of doing this because I wanted to experience it. But maybe when you go home tonight, okay, uh, experience this for yourself. But, but really put yourself in front of a mirror. You know what that's like. It reflects back who you really are, right? It's not like a cell phone where you can put a filter on it. Any of you know what I'm talking about? You can put a filter on yourself and change how you look. You know, it's just like you. You open your mouth, it opens its mouth, right? But it changes how you look. But a mirror actually shows you what you truly look like. There are many times I look into a mirror and I don't like what I see. I don't know about you. I'm not too thrilled with everything going on, right? But you know, sometimes I make modifications and I say, okay, well, that's a little better. I wonder, when we look at the Word of God and it, and it shows us our true condition, because that's what the Word of God does, right? Is it, it, it shows us our true condition. And we say to that, oh, that's how I look, huh? Not so pretty. Well, oh well. Done with that. And you move on. You realize this is the picture that's being painted. It's just like coming to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday and hearing a message from the Word of God. And the Word of God cuts into your heart and while you're here and while you're hearing it, you say, yes. Oh, I need to be different. I need to change. I, I see God's character. I see who I am and I want to be holy in my character. I want to change. I love this about God. I don't want to offend God. I want to be different. And then you hit the door and it's like you never even heard the sermon. You're here and you're looking intently at it and then you say, but anyway, what are we having for lunch? But that's never happened to anybody in this room. <laughs> but that, isn't that the point? Is that it's, 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 a, it's kind of a universal uh, disposition that we have and we struggle with. So can we all agree to that? That there are times even when we're at home, we're reading the Bible and we say, ooh, that cuts deep. And then you move on like normal, you know? Uh, well, anyway, moving on. Uh, let's not let that settle in there too much. That's uncomfortable. Uh, we keep going. Is that how we should be? James is saying, you realize what you're doing, right? You're being a hearer of the word only and not a doer. You're not appropriating this truth into your life. You're acting like, well, like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror and he looks at it and he sees where he's dirty. But instead of making any modification, he doesn't like what he sees and so he turns away from it. So there's a, another picture though. There's a picture of someone else in verse 25 who looks into something, but he doesn't walk away. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, so we were looking first into a mirror, right? But now we're looking into the law. The one who looks into the law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. You see the person here left. The person looking into the mirror looked and then left. Now the person here is looking into the law and staying, persevering, keeping there. Being no hearer who forgets 
but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So this time he's, he's looking in, th- this person's not looking into a mirror, they're looking into the perfect law. The perfect law is equated here, it's very simple, the law of liberty, the perfect law, is the same thing as the word of truth, the implanted word, the gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ, the embodiment of Jesus Christ in his life, his death, his ministry, the truth, all composing the gospel message, all of that collectively is this law. So this person does not walk away and forget and neglect what he has seen. No, this person perseveres. He stays in it. And he will be blessed in his doing. That is, he will be blessed in what he does. And so then James immediately goes into uh, an example of sorts. Okay, so look at verse 26. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Okay, stop right there. This person's religion is worthless. Told you the longer title of this message is why we must be careful not to have worthless religion. I believe that learning hermeneutics, learning theology, learning proper biblical interpretation does what it, what it does naturally to a lot of Bible students, seminary students, uh, people who are studying the Bible, maybe uh, taking a class, doing personal study, reading uh, particular theology books, or just something to gain real insight and knowledge. I've seen it a lot. I mean, I don't know how to say that other than, than that. I, I have seen this in my personal life and people that have, I have encountered that what happens is there is a focus and emphasis on gaining biblical knowledge and wisdom and insight so that it becomes an end in itself. And so in doing so, as he grows in knowledge, he believes that he is growing in his worth, in his religion, that he is climbing the scale, he is climbing the ladder of his religion. The more I know, the higher up I am on this hierarchy of religion. Now, they wouldn't say that, you understand. I really hope they wouldn't say that. But it's about what's happening inside that we don't realize. And this is what James is calling our attention to. He's saying, don't you realize that when you have knowledge that is left unappropriated into your life, that you are a hearer of the word only and not a doer of the word? And don't you know that God is calling you to be not a hearer only, but a doer of the word? That's what we're called to. And so if someone thinks he's religious, but he doesn't bridle his tongue, He's deceiving his heart. That person's religion is worthless. Okay, so this is the person who maybe can, oh, I mean, wow, I have so many examples here. I'm not going to give a specific name. Okay, I'm going to generalize this person. Real situation, though. Actually, there were many. I'm just going to pick one of them. There was someone that I went to Bible college with, and uh, he, uh, man, this guy was smart. Uh, I... I, I have told you before, I'm not a smart person. I, I'm, not a, I'm not in, in any way intellectually blessed. 
I, 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 I really have to work hard to know something. It comes very difficult to me. I mean, it's not an easy road to know something. I have to work at knowing something, okay? Don't ask me to memorize things. I, have you ever noticed that I, I have to peer deeply into my chord charts as I'm playing my guitar? Have, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I don't have anything memorized. I have no songs memorized. How many songs do I know? Well, I can play a lot of songs, but if I have my chord chart in front of me, I, don't, I, can't, my, I can't do that, okay? But some people can. I mean, it's like they remember everything they've ever read. They can memorize things in instant. I mean, they have all this stuff memorized, even theology books, even the Bible. And man, some people can tell you chapter, verse, they can tell you, they can quote all these different philosophers and it's like word for word. And I know they're probably right. Good job for remembering those details. That's incredible. I don't have that gift. But it was these individuals who were elevated in the class as the stars. And there was one individual that was, man, he was the he was the star of the classroom. He was the one that would get into theological debates with the professor, you know the type? And so then, word on campus, he's in jail. For what? Something more despicable than you could ever imagine. And then it happened to another person. Yeah, the guy who was best friends with the pastor down the street because of his biblical knowledge yeah, that guy. Or the pastor who's written a bunch of books that make it onto the shelves at Lifeway, you know? And then all of a sudden their books get pulled from Lifeway because now they're in prison or you know, whatever it may be. I don't know. You get the idea? Now take it down off that level and just say, that. don't you realize that in the same degree, this is what happens to many of us when we claim to know something and yet we don't appropriate it to our lives. I know that that's not the way I should act, but I do it anyway. I have the knowledge, and I even, I'll even give you counsel on it. Oh, struggling with anger, are you? Well, let's talk for a minute. I'll give you counsel on that. You know? Oh, I can remember when I was your age and I struggled with that. Let me tell you how I handled that. Oh, having marriage problems, are you? Let me tell you how my marriage is perfect. Give you some counsel on that. But we can very easily deceive ourselves, can't we? I think we, we need to recognize that we can easily deceive ourselves. It's not that we always do understand that, right? It's not that we always do, but James is pointing out to us that we can very easily deceive ourselves and we need to be careful that we don't. We need to be careful that we're not hearers of the word only and not doers of the word because we like to learn, but do we like to cut deep into our lives and actually change? right? Because that, that, anybody can learn something. Don't have to be a believer to learn something. Did you know that? You know, we can have a class about hermeneutics with a bunch of people who are unbelievers and they would leave knowing the same information for the most part. But you know what they cannot do is appropriate those truths to their life because they don't have the spirit of God in them. And this is why I've said that there can be unbelievers who write Bible commentaries. 
You say, how is that? How, can that? how is that possible? Well, because they're using their brain. They're just telling you what it says. They're just using hermeneutical principles. They're using background information, cultural setting. They're looking at the original languages and they tell you what it says. Great, there's some insight in there. But you don't have everything because the beginning of true wisdom is the fear of God, which you don't even have. But it doesn't mean that you don't have knowledge, right? Because knowledge and wisdom are different, aren't they? Okay, so what is James saying? If, if anyone thinks that he's religious, he's not using religious in the negative way like we do, like we say, oh, I'm not a religious person. I don't know. Does anybody in this room say that they're religious? Do you use that term? Oh, right, right. So to us, the term religious has negative connotation, right? But to James, this word does not have negative connotation here. So if anyone thinks he is religious, positively, like you think you're a religious, devout, God-fearing person, you think you're a true believer, and you don't even bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. You're being quick to speak. So he's taking us back to where we started. If you don't even do that simple thing of holding your tongue, you see that you're not applying the true biblical principles to your life and you're a hearer of the word only and you're not a doer? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, this is not a definition of good religion. If it were, it would probably have something to do with Jesus, right? So you see that it's not a definition. But it is kind of universal principles of here are the acts that would accompany you if your religion was true. That's what he's saying. We have to love our neighbor. We have to have moral purity because these are part of having faith in Jesus Christ. It's part of taking the word that saved you and appropriating it to your life. Having love for people, yes, that's good. Purifying your life and, not, and, being, and being unstained from the world that you live in, that, that's good. You should be doing that. Before God the Father. Before God the Father. Do you see that? That's where I'm going to end tonight. Do you see that little phrase right there in, your, in, this, in the verse? A person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Why does he say that? I think there's a distinction being made here between a religion that is observed by people and a religion that is observed by God himself. And you realize that there is fooling people. You can do it. We can get together and, man, we could we really deceive some people to show them that we are so godly. You don't even know how godly we are. We'll show you how godly we are. But you can deceive people. Whole churches deceive people right? Take you to the, seven, to the seven churches of Revelation. A lot of them were very good at deceiving not only themselves, but other people. That their religion was really something when really it was nothing before the face of God the Father. I have a little quote here from John Calvin. I, I, th- I thought it was really good. Uh, I was just looking at his commentary on this. I was just curious about a particular thing, not even this, but I happened to read this. And, and he said, 
and he says before God to intimate that it appears indeed otherwise to men who are led astray by external masks, but that we ought to seek what pleases him. So what he's saying is, so to other people, they can see the mask and be led astray by it. See, you can put on a mask of biblical knowledge and what other people are gonna see is a, is a godly person simply because you can talk the talk. But to God, there is no mask that you can put on. To God, he sees not only the knowledge you have, but the knowledge you've taken and you've taken as your own and made it real. Right? You've put it into action in your life. And so, as we study, that's why I, I call tonight pastoral hermeneutics. And because I, I want you to realize, and I wanted to make this very clear as I was thinking this over, the reason we're studying biblical interpretation is because I care about you and the way that you read your Bible, not to get more knowledge. Knowledge is good, but so that we might have the right information so as to conform our lives to it. That's the point. The point is not to just have more knowledge. 